All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as usual, I'm talking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. This is the 15th day of February, 2022. Do like to remind you, I have a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. We do focus on a lot of very exciting exploration stories. Uh, you can sign up for my letter by going to miningstocks.com. And uh, we do like to uh, encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling, chenpicks.com. And today we have Michael Oliver with us, and we'd like to have you be aware of his website as well, and that's olivermsa.com. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. I encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about the show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Our sponsors for today's show who make this show possible Novo Resources, El Oro Resources, Hand and Metals, Irving Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, Firefox Gold, and Timberline Resources. Before we get started with today's show, I would just like to pass along a comment from a listener named Steve who suggested that, like Chen, yours truly should name his top five tigers. For 2022, well, actually, John Rubino and I are scheduled to do a to film a, a Zoom conversation regarding five advanced stage gold and silver exploration stocks that I consider to be candidates for replicating the same kind of returns that great bear shareholders enjoyed when that former sponsor to this show outlined a world class gold discovery that led Kinross to pay $29 a share for that company. Great Bear was added to my newsletter at 46 cents, actually, back in January of 2018, so many of my subscribers did enjoy some nice profits from that investment, but I'm very excited also now about a number of other gold and silver explorers, some of which are sponsors to this show, and I will be, as I say, I will be revealing them in my uh, I'll be re- revealing them in my newsletter this week, and uh, and once the video is available, the interview that John and I do, uh, once that is available, I'll pass it on to a larger audience as well. Suffice it to say that I am very excited about junior exploration stocks, several of them uh, that I cover in my newsletter, some of which are also, as I say, sponsors to this show. I've titled today's show, Owning Ships and Gold to Beat Inflation. Frank Holmes, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver are my guests today. Frank Holmes has long been known for his gold and natural resource funds, all of which are expected to be useful hedges against inflation. And he has recently been involved with the mining of Ethereum and Bitcoin as well. 
not only have central bankers triggered massive inflation into global into the global economy, but government policies have contributed greatly to inflation as well. As always, during the inflationary episodes, there are winners and losers from rising prices. Frank has identified a new industry that appears to be a likely winner, that being the shipping industry. In an effort to ward off fears of climate disaster, laws passed by the United Nations or through the United Nations uh, have caused shipping prices to explode higher, leading to massive profits in that industry. So Frank launched a third ETF under the U.S. Global umbrella, namely the U.S. Global Sea and Sky Cargo ETF. So Frank will explain how laws passed have boosted shipping company profits and why he's bullish on the shipping uh, industry in general. And uh, given his long-term involvement in gold markets, uh, we'll try to see what he has to say uh, about his views on the gold market as well. And time permitting, also, if we if we do have the time, I want to ask him about his views on uh, on the uh, on the inability of cryptocurrency uh, to be used in support of the protesting truck drivers up there in Canada. An interesting story that is still unfolding at this point in time. Uh, so those are things we'll talk to. We'll talk to uh, Frank about in the second half of today's show. Second segment, Quentin Henning will join me to provide an update on Novo Resources. And we'll ask him what plans the company has to turn things around there, uh, heading, uh, hopefully, providing some profitable production in the near term. Uh, and uh, what are, what in general are the plans for the company going forward? They have been outlaid, they have been outlined to the investors, uh, but we'll get a, a fresh update from Quentin, hopefully right after the first commercial break. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for joining okay. me. Good to be back. You know, recently you were somewhat concerned about the downside risks for gold, but if I'm reading you right, a little less so now? Oh, no. There's, we called off our caution flag uh, a week or so mm -hmm. ago. Uh, when we broke under 1790, dropped down to 1796 a month ago, that triggered a few things that, uh, on monthly momentum, which is what you could call an intermediate time scale. It's not real long term, but it's significant enough mm -hmm. uh, to give us a caution flag. So we issued the caution flag, meaning that, you know, if, if you're over leveraged and, and antsy, uh, you know, maybe put on some kind of hedge or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, two weeks later, I think it was, we, we pulled that caution flag when it got back, uh, I think it was about 1810 or something like that. Uh, we said, now, okay, caution flag, uh, that, that breakage was not meaningful. The downside follow-through was trivial. Uh, I think they got to 1780 or something, mm -hmm. and then they flipped back up. So it was a false caution flag. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we have those. <laughs> uh, but uh, action since then has firmed nicely. Uh, unfortunately, I think what happened yesterday on the upside in gold and silver was caused not by the ongoing drive north, because I think they're both headed north, okay, uh, for good reasons and with solid fundamentals and technicals. But you had a spurt there that I think was based on war news. Mm -hmm. And it's my experience over many decades looking at gold that any time there's, there's a war story, you know, a Panama Canal crisis or whatever, you know, you want to come up with, uh, anybody who buys gold and silver based on that usually gets slammed. Mm -hmm. These are not good reasons to buy gold. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a monetary metal. It moves primarily due to the sins of central banks, the destruction of money units, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, not because of some little headline war news. 
Uh, yes, war can cause inflation ultimately, but uh, we get inflation regardless of wars. We don't need them. Okay? Mm. <laughs> they still print the money. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think you had a, a lot of vulnerable longs chasing in there, and so they got bagged back down today. But I noticed that gold held at nice levels, silver held at nice levels, and uh, we've got some pending major breakout structures waiting overhead on our momentum charts, on silver especially. And we recently ran a bunch of the indexes like XAU index, GDX, ETF, and so forth. And we're getting a mixed picture there of crossing over these breakout levels. We want some consensus. So, and we, the other day, we just ran a couple dozen uh, key gold and silver miners. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, you know, maybe 25% of them have just crossed some numbers that look pretty good. Mm-hmm. So we want greater consensus. And I can tell you this, the numbers you need to achieve are not that far above us. Mm-hmm. Uh, not far above yesterday's high. And so we're just over 24. We get some numbers in the below 24.50 that if you can close a week there, you're gone upside. Um, so we, we feel pretty good about it. Uh, the action has been – the upside action we've seen in the last few weeks has not been based on that kind of news. That was just yesterday that we had that mm-hmm. – panic buying stuff and they they got paid dues for that <laughs> so uh, anyway the other markets that i think could influence um what's going to happen in the fundamental world the central bank world is the continued wobbliness of the stock market uh it got its legs broken in my view in january i think mm-hmm. that probably was the top but we have not broken we don't have the consensus yet on the downside uh i can say with some confidence, I think NASDAQ 100 is top, but the S&P didn't break its key number yet. Now, it's trading below it right now, but I need mm-hmm. to close the month there. So we've mm-hmm. got nine trading days left. If we can get some consensus out of the stock market to the downside, uh, and I don't mean for a crash, but I thought about the onset of an arduous bear market, that's going to get the attention of the, the Fed, and it's going to cause... Uh, some consternation about, you know, how fast do we raise rates or do we really want to do this uh, to the degree that we've been talking about? Uh, I think those variables are out there. There's Mm -hmm. another market I'm going to throw out there for people to watch. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the one that may be most important about this Russia thing. Mm -hmm. And it would give the Fed an excuse to back off on their their so-called fighting inflation talk. Mm -hmm. Watch natural gas. We all know that Russia, it's winter now, you know, next, if they act, they're going to, their real weapon is natural gas. They provide you know, like 40% of the natural gas that runs Europe. If anything happened to jeopardize that flow, you know, flip the switch, uh, Europe would go down the tank quickly. And the Europeans know that. Uh, now, Biden may be talking tough talk here, but, uh, you know, the Europeans don't particularly want that weapon used. Uh, and I think that's really the weapon that Putin's got. This border stuff is, is I think, like a, a left jab before the right hook. You know, <laughs> the right hook is the, I think it's that natural gas. And I'm watching it very carefully. I have a suspicion that before he does anything regarding natural gas, that a lot of his oligarchs around him, uh, close to Putin and himself, might just be buyers of natural gas. Oh. makes sense to me. And mm-hmm. natural gas has not been exploding like oil has mm-hmm. over the last couple of months. In fact, mm-hmm. it's been under pressure. But if all of a sudden we see a change in tone there, where you see natural gas jump a buck or so, uh, and like today, for instance, up sharply while oil's down sharply, 
be alert to the possibility that at that point Putin might be ready to to use a real weapon, which is to say mm-hmm. an economic weapon. Mm-hmm. And if you do anything to jeopardize European economy, that has wave effects globally. Mm-hmm. It could cause central banks to rethink any talk about tightening rates, et cetera, et cetera. So watch natural gas for that. It may be a good clue about uh, possible change in central bank thinking. Yeah, it certainly could um, create some havoc amongst the NATO countries, I would think. And, uh, you know, we've been hearing uh, the Biden administration talking about how important it is to have a unified NATO. And uh, I guess maybe uh, the Europeans might not care about that so much if they're freezing to death. So, Yeah, and uh, their factories are shutting down and running two-day weeks or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's a- yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, what what about the T bonds? You know, we're seeing it, it cross over the two uh, percent level. Yeah, um, they, uh, we had a suspicion that they could perform as a alternative again, like gold. In other words, mm-hmm. where you get out of the stock market for various reasons and you run a fund, yep. uh, where do you park your money? Well, quite often during periods of consternation, uh, they'll go to long bonds, government mm-hmm. bonds. Because they're safe, quote unquote. Uh, that's not been happening. Uh, while gold has been firming uh, for the last few months, uh, T bonds have been going down. So it looks to me like it just maybe the real alternative to a declining stock market, global economy, et cetera, is not going to be to own T bonds. They're going to reflect the inflation that the central banks create. But mm-hmm. it leaves gold and silver as the alternative. Mm hmm. Um, well, that could be that could be the day when the yeah. yellow metal starts to really shine. Then I, I guess, yeah. and I mean, uh, T bonds don't work. Then what else are you going to do? You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to be in the stock market. You need to shift to some other asset category. Well, that could be the answer. Yeah. Well, we'll keep watching and uh, we'll keep reading your letters. You've been very helpful to me, Michael. And I know I know your subscribers in general have benefited tremendously. Uh, you know, this recently this little bit of nervousness in gold to have that guidance been very helpful and it's olivermsa.com folks go there uh, sign up for michael's letter if you're a serious investor i think it's a letter that you uh, you're probably going to want to own going to want to subscribe to because uh it's, he's just very helpful uh, at least i find him from my from my perspective to be very helpful so thanks again michael for being with us and Thank we'll you, look Jake. to do it again in another couple of weeks Thank you so Good much all right weeks. folks All right, folks, well, we're going to go to a break now. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me to talk about Novo Resources. We'll get an update on that company, find out how it's doing uh, as it plans its future. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. 
SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Dr. Quentin Hanning with me once again to give us an update on Novel Resources. It's uh, Novel is trading uh, at around, I saw earlier today, Canadian dollar eleven, uh, giving it a market cap around $273 million, if my arithmetic is correct. NVOs is a symbol, NSRPF. I suppose most of you who have been following this company don't need to know that. You know that already. Uh, and you've also been very familiar with Dr. Quentin Hanning's views on Novel uh, for the last number of years, so it's really good to have him with us again. He is the co-chair, the non-executive co-chairman of the company, so he does keep track of what's going on and no doubt provides his advice uh, on exploration matters for sure and, and probably a lot of other things. He is also a member of the board. Uh, thanks for joining me, Quentin. It's a pleasure, Jay. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure, I know, but I know you hardly have time these days to take your breath, so I'm glad you did take a breath and come on with us. Um, I, I have to ask you this, and Nova was having, as, as uh, was put out in the press, some disappointing production numbers, I think disappointing to the company and to the shareholders for sure, and there was some grade control, it was, it was boiled down, as I understand it, to grade control, and the company was doing... Um, you know, I guess I guess part of the solution was to drill more tightly spaced, drill pre-production drill holes. Um, is, is that helping at all, do you think? Yes, look, uh, we're actually just completing a, a very important phase. We got all of the 10 by 10 holes done uh-huh. in the area that we're looking at mining in the not too distant future. So basically everything that needs to be 10 by 10 drilled uh, so that we have good grade control data, including the fresh rock. This is uh, looking ahead. Uh, we now have uh, the assays will take a while to get through, even though we have Chrysos uh, analytic technique in hand. Um, we have a lot of samples too. Okay, we've we've generated literally tens of thousands of samples here in the past, <laughs> you know, few months, probably three or four months, and we see a lot large volume come through every day. I think we'd probably see on the order of. A thousand or you know, one to two thousand samples come through a day, but you know the, there is a backlog. But we'll get all that data, and that data is absolutely critical, as you say, to uh, to grade control and you know uh, mine planning and so forth going forward. And that's correct. Mm-hmm. 
so, okay, so have you been mining any fresh rock or is it just oxide so far? Uh, we've all of the rock we've mined. Uh, well, I shouldn't say all of it. I'd say ninety nine percent of it is oxidized material, so it's yeah. surface stuff. Uh, we did get down into the fresh regime. Uh, actually, last July there was a bit of rock. I'll call it transitional. It was you know there was still some pyrite and stuff left in it. Uh, so that uh, that was one period, and then I think around October, November there was another period where they dipped down into that uh, transitional regime as well. Um, look, we do know from that trial batch, I think there was like 30,000 tons back in October of fresh material that went through the mill. Recoveries were great. Um, the grades actually were higher in the fresh material, which is a bit of a head scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's the experience we've had so far. Yeah. Higher grades might be nice, might, might be welcomed, I guess. And a little little higher cost of mining the fresh stuff, it's deeper down. Well, it's it's about stripping at that point, but uh, you got to remember we're kind of progressively stripping anyway, so we've got a lot of that stripping done. Uh, now, when we do get our fresh permit and so forth, we'll have to start laying back in that area, uh, which mean you know a few months uh, of stripping. But uh, you know, it's it's all expected. It's all part of the mine plan. So you're doing. You've talked a lot about the company's talked a lot about a very aggressive exploration program. Was that something that sort of cropped up? because of lower than expected production uh, coming from um, initial production or would have that happened anyway on the same schedule? We've been kind of chomping at the bit to explore for quite some time. I mean, that's just, you know, to, to actually put together this entire mining district and now have uh, both the, the Beaton's Creek area, but also the, all of this ground out in the what's called Mosquito Creek Basin to the east uh, all part of one operation is is delightful. Um, we do have members of our exploration team who were part of the Millennium Story back in the day. Uh-huh. So they already have kind of a working knowledge of That's a lot true. of that terrain. And we've been able to quickly identify uh, a large number of targets. We've uh, announced news over the past, say, three or four months now about the work we're doing out in, in these areas, uh, drilling at Parnell, for example, uh, drilling at this area that we call Genie, which is somewhat north, about two kilometers north of the mill complex. Uh, but we have a whole whole laundry list of targets, and we're drilling them one by one. We're, we've announced very good results so far, both from Genie and Parnell. I think these could be uh, large discoveries that basically help us uh, build a further mine planning, uh, further, uh, add further years to production. They can also be brought in, so there's a little less pressure uh, on Beaton's Creek, you know, it would be nice mm-hmm. to, to uh, reduce somewhat the tonnage that we have to pull out of Beaton's Creek to keep the mill full by bringing in some other tons. And if we do that, like if, let's say Parnell, uh, we're able to prove, prove up a, a, a decent resource there. We can look to try to get that into production by, say, year end, maybe early 2023. Uh, that would help uh, tremendously. It's just you know, it's all part of the bigger picture here. But you know, ultimately, it means more gold and more more mine life and more uh, more ounces. Uh, did I hear you say by the end of 2023, it would be a sort of a hopeful target date for production from if, there? If if uh, if all the stars align, we got to get the the thing drilled out. And we are drilling aggressively. Uh, we got to get a resource put together around it. Fortunately, that Parnell block is on. A lot of it is on a granting mining lease, so that takes that aspect away. 
Uh, but you still have to get operational permits. You can't just you know go out and start digging rocky. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the best estimate we have is you know late this year, early next year, we would be able to to mine in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you know, initially this was really a conglomerate gold story. I guess it still is to a great extent. But you also are talking about orogenic uh, targets as well, right? Are those any are those any of those very close to the mill? Uh, yes, the, all, everything that I just talked about. Orogenic. Correct. It's these are load deposits, so they're they're basically uh, you know steeply dipping zones, maybe a few meters wide, five ten meters wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be bulk mine in an open pit. Correct. Mm-hmm. And yes, they are all within driving distance of the mill. They're we're targeting the areas that would you know make a meaningful impact to uh, to our production. So if they're orogenic, they may have deep roots, I suppose, and and maybe longer term potential. But right now, your focus is on getting higher grade material to the mill close by. Yeah, correct. Look, the the systems are deep rooted. There's no question. Uh, Millennium, when they were there, drilled significant sulfide resources. I think they had on their books like 1.3 million ounces of sulfide resources. Uh-huh. So uh, we do definitely have a lot of sulfide material to look at. That'll probably be down the road. I think uh, Kaz and team are working on a sulfide study right now in the background to look at that longer-term plan of you know, what what potential is there to develop this sulfide. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, go, getting back to the conglomerates then, you have this this issue that's always been a, a, um, a challenge, uh, and that is the nuggety characteristics of the, of the gold-bearing material. And part of the solution to that supposedly will be uh, your mechanical sorting, and I know you're you're testing that right now. How's that going? You know, it's going very well. Uh, we've we've got uh, an anticipated completion date for the test work uh, in mid to late March. So they're they're testing different size fractions uh, from different samples from many different properties. We got material from uh, Caratha, of course. We got quite a few samples from there. Samples from Edgina. Talga, even I think some from Beaton and so forth. So they're going through all of these uh, samples, uh, crushing, screening, and then sorting the material so that they can put the material through in different size fractions, you know, coarse, medium, fine size fractions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have to get assays out of all the, the products that are generated and, and tailings as well to see how much mm-hmm. gold is captured and, you know, what how effective the sorter is. Right now, visually, just looking at the products that are generated, Sounds like it's going very promisingly. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, it's basically, uh, you know, generating uh, nice low mass concentrates, mm-hmm. and presumably those concentrates will carry most of the gold uh, that's coming out of these. You know, in fact, the team seems confident now, uh, confident enough to go ahead and decide to deploy the machine out to Karatha uh, after we're done with the the test program here at the the milling operation. So we got the machine right there next to the mill right now. But soon we will move it out to Caratha to do mm. field. Testing. Oh, that'll be exciting! Uh, when might we receive some report on on the testing sometime soon? I think once they get all the tests complete in March, they'll give an update, and then uh, it will take a little while to get the assays and so forth from all the fractions. But there'll there'll be quantitative, we'll say, results uh, available within a month or two after that. 
I think though the the results from the update just people be able to see yeah these things appear to be working quite well. So well, I think that should be a driver for the for the uh, for the company for the shares anyway. I just uh, have to think that if um, if these tests are anything like the earlier smaller scale tests, it will be just amazing. But uh, how much larger are the uh, are these sorting mechanisms compared to what were used earlier in the bench scale tests? Uh, the, the the sorter that we purchased, the one that we own, um, is is a bit bigger than the machine that we were using. Say last, it was kind of a time warp. What was it? It was actually a year and a half ago, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that machine was down there in a, a yard in Perth. It was a, a relatively small machine, but it could handle. I think the belt was like I don't know a meter and a half or or so wide. Mm-hmm. This one can do probably on the order of 50 to 100 tons per hour, depending on the size fraction, mm-hmm. the speed that you have to operate it. I think, uh, you know, it's very efficient. It's It can certainly handle the tonnages we need. And, you know, as you know, with sorters, you can put uh, sorters in series or parallel and increase mm-hmm. your foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any any idea on the capital cost on those? Uh, it's just a rough idea. Yeah, look, the, the cost of this order we purchased was a little over a million Aussie. Uh, mm-hmm. The price of everything's going up here lately, so, you know. Yeah, who knows, yeah. That's, that's going to be the exact same price, but uh, I would say, you know, it should be reasonable. I can't imagine even if it doubles, you know, that's still pretty reasonable. And I suppose this is, uh, these machines are fueled with uh, with, oil, with, um, with petroleum, I suppose, or how are they? You, you run them with electricity that's produced by a oh. diesel generator. A diesel generator. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, we're really looking forward to that. I guess those are drivers. You'll have probably, um, you know, that is the um, the results that come out of the sorter. The mechanical sorter will be something we'll want to watch. And then also ongoing exploration news, I suppose, right? Uh, yeah. Look, the exploration news, uh, you know, and that's where I, like you said at the beginning, where I'm helping mostly. Mm-hmm. It's very, very encouraging. Um We've got some news coming out over the next few weeks, very encouraging news release uh, about some gold discoveries. Also, this uh, area that we've kind of were sandwiched between uh, two companies, Azure and Artemis, in a, a new play that seems to be developing that's nickel, copper, and yeah. related. Uh, we've got the, the ground next to the Hemi discovery. Uh, that we're going to drill. We're going to drill those sinicatoids here in a few months. I think this year is going to be exceptional for our exploration productivity. We're drilling at Malmesbury right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of good news coming. And I guess we'll, uh, I guess we'll have to wait on the on the quarterly reports for the financials and find out how things are going in that regard. That's uh, right. We'll, we'll provide an update of all the production stats in early April. Mm-hmm. After we've uh, completed the March quarter, correct? Excellent. All right, Quentin. Well, thank you so much for being with us and, and bringing us up to date on Noble Resources. Still one of my favorites. I know it's out of fashion uh, from uh, given the share price, but uh, I have faith that somehow you're going to pull this thing together yet, you and your team over there. So thank you so much for your time. So, thank you. Great All right, folks. Well, uh, we do have to go to break, but uh, coming right back will be Frank Holmes. He's going to talk about his new ETF that he launched under the U.S. global umbrella, uh, having to do with the shipping industry. Very interesting story. Frank's finding ways to make money to take advantage of some of the things that are going on these days, and uh, I think you're not going to want to miss what he has to say, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Frank Holmes.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Frank Holmes with me once again. Uh, I think Frank is very well known to most of you, um, heading up the U.S. Global Investors uh, Organization. Uh, he's been doing that for quite a while now, since 1989, I believe, is, uh, is what I've, I'm seeing here on the script. And, of course, he's very well known for uh, a host of different uh, mutual funds uh, going back in those to those days. But he's also recently picked up some and created some very interesting ETFs, and uh, now just a new one that we want to talk to talk to him about today. It's the U.S. Global Sea and Sky ETF, uh, trades under the symbol SEA, and I'm seeing it trading here now at about twenty dollars and eighty-five cents. Uh, Frank, thanks for joining us again. It's great to be with you, Jay. It's good to have you, and. Um, I think it's also good that we should tell our, our listeners it's usfunds.com where people should go. You should go there, folks. Uh, take advantage of all the good stuff that's there, and including uh, you can sign up for uh, Frank's um, weekly missives that he sends out. Very informative, uh, keeping up with the market and some key industries. Frank has always been an opportunistic uh, investor. He sees opportunities where a lot of other people don't. And that's why i uh, really happy to have him here today to talk about the U.S. Global Sea and Sky ETF uh, that's just uh, started trading in January 20th, I believe, of this year. Uh, Frank, I, I see that the stock uh, you know, is trading, it's up, I guess, up about 2% or so this, uh, this morning and um, now. Um, how many shares are there in, uh, in this ETF? Well, it will grow as more money comes into it, Jay. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, and, and I think... Uh, What's important for investors is that it is a way to play the global supply disruptions that are taking place. Mm -hmm. And there's many factors that were driving these these supply restrictions. 
uh, and and the huge price inflation. I mean, we're talking about tenfold increases. So what we saw in our research is very, very similar to what took place with jets. What I had noticed back in 2014 was that the airlines industry, because I have U.S. global investors and I'm flying to Africa and Latin America and Asia for all these resource funds and gold and and um, and I noticed that the that my options to fly uh, internationally had had declined by 30 percent, and the price of my tickets had doubled. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, someone's making money, uh-huh. and I want to get into the ETF business. So there was no airline ETF, and upon the research, finding out it's like nine percent indirectly, indirectly of the GDP uh, in America. So it's a very significant contri- contributor to the economy. Um, and so that led to a quant approach to creating jets. Mm-hmm. And, and jets was um, uh, a success out of the box. It quickly went to 40 million, which is your break even level. Mm-hmm. And then it ran up to about 100 and some odd million. And with COVID, it fell down to 40 million. And then it took off, Jay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stock was at 33, fell to 12, uh, when it went from 100 down to 40 million in, in assets. And the bottom was basically formed just before, well, I guess Buffett was selling all of his shares in the airlines at the end of May. He said he sold everything and it took off. And (laughs) and, uh, so Buffett's uh, scenario was quite wrong. But what I'm trying to share with your listeners, I try to look where there's a trend going on and there was no other product there. It's a big part of the global travel. Uh, and, and I think the other thing was what's called ancillary fees. So yes. the airlines started coming up with all those different types of fees, which irritate all of us, like change your tra- your tickets, $200, another bag is $200, uh, and then credit cards, et cetera. Those fees grew from $20 billion to $100 billion before COVID. Wow. Then they fell down to $40 billion and they're climbing back up again. So we don't have all the change fees back, but in a year from now, you'll probably see uh, a lot of the, the, the that fee structure uh, coming into the airline industry. So they have pricing power now. Uh, the economy's turned. Everyone follows the TSA daily reports of how many people they cleared. And if it's above the 50-day moving average, it means the airlines are making money. And as people, that's just the sort of concept. I still think we've got a little further to go, but I think that um, uh, the airlines, the the Jets uh, ETF in a year from now has a high probability of climbing back to $33, $34 where it started with a couple years ago. But in that journey of creating that, I noticed that in the worst of times in April 15th, that the number of people cleared by TSA fell from 2.7 million on April the 15th down to 90,000. And the busiest airport in the world was Alaska. And cargo (laughs) airlines were making a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And then during COVID, all the other airlines started scrambling to get cargo uh, to move masks and gloves and everything else you had to do with, with fighting COVID. And so the cargo business, what it saw was tremendous pricing power. Mm-hmm. And then there was a policy with the UN on on cargo ships if they have uh, a, a sort of a higher sulfur content crude oil that comes not from sweet Texas, but from, from Venezuela, uh, that those ships are not allowed to go into ports. And uh-huh. that became law, basically started being imposed during COVID. And you have 
a shortage of sli- of ships mm-hmm. and you have a huge pent up demand. So what are you seeing now is the uh, shipping industry has the wind hitting a sail and they have tremendous pricing power. And so I think that the um, this this model is a leading indicator. So if the, if the PMIs are rising, then you can see ships rising. Uh, China has uh, still basically uh, been a shutdown except for exporting with robots. Uh, but when they turn their economy around, um, the, the pricing power from these uh, ships that are out there is going to go through the roof. Well, uh, what kind of companies are in there? Then are they, are we talking about cargo ships? Are we talking about airline uh, cargo air as well? We're, we're because, talking about seventy percent cargo ships uh-huh. and thirty percent uh, airlines, cargo airlines, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of them are Asian names. And you couldn't buy these. You can't go to South Korea and buy some of these names or Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, these incredible shipping, and their rates have gone up tenfold, Jay. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they've they've paid salary bonuses to employees, uh, uh, the, the working guys on the crew, something like five times their base salary. Wow. That's how much money they've been making. Uh, and and so what, what you see is, is that you can buy for 60 basis points, you can get exposure to these other areas of the world, and, and with... The um, uh, world's starting to go back and, and, and sanctions basically almost you could think of from global travel dropping. Uh, I think that uh, the both cargo and the airlines industry have a lot of upside. Well, in an email that I received from uh, from U.S. Global, uh, it included a chart that showed skyrocketing profits, as you're suggesting here, uh, for the world's largest con- uh, carriers. Starting about June of 2020, the chart that I'm looking at, and it says – uh, it, it, it's it, it's my understanding, as I'm re- reading one of your articles here, that the United Nations uh, International Maritime Organization imposed limits on the amount of sulfur that these ships can carry in their fuel to a half a percent, and that's down from the previous limit of three and a half percent. And it seems as though that was a, a, one of the contributing factors as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? What what that means to the ships and how the ship owners are uh, responding to that? Well, what happens is that it takes a long time to build ships, and the cost of rebuilding a new ship with iron prices going up 70 percent, um, it, 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 it's a game changer. Like, it's going to take a lot longer time to get these new retrofitted uh, carbon, uh, uh, I guess, a better carbon footprint um, uh, sea cargo plane, uh, mm-hmm. not planes, I meant uh, ships. Ship. So so what, what I think is... is is it does is it shrinks supply. Mm-hmm. You know, if all of a sudden uh, we're seeing this in the copper world, and you're an expert on on mm-hmm. gold and copper and the metals, et cetera, and every time there's a, a bleep in, in Chile with a strike and mm-hmm. supply of copper is not coming on, copper goes up. And then we have this huge infrastructure push out of Europe and then out of America. Well, they need a lot of copper, but the mm-hmm. grade of copper is down. Uh, so we're seeing a, a real supply const- contraction. And that means as the global demand picks up, uh, that copper prices have much more on the upside. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to look at if all of a sudden these ships, if these ships, there's less ships to move cargo around the world, then that gives these cargo uh, uh, ships a lot of pricing power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that means they're going to be on the upside. And to me, it reminds me of the ancillary fees that the airlines uh-huh. started tacking on in 2015 when we launched uh, jets. 
But I think the point here was that, you know, various regulatory requirements or in the case of COVID and all this, that, uh, it, it shuts down a lot of the supply and therefore the existing carriers, the existing uh, companies that are in business are making out very, very well. But I just thought it was really interesting, uh, this story about the, about the United Nations International Maritime Organization imposing uh, this reduction in uh, sulfur, as I understand it, in the, uh, in the fuels, and that a lot of the, I think uh, I read that it would cost six, uh, two to six million dollars to retrofit, or they can uh, put into uh, expensive scrubbers, right. and they can continue to use the higher sulfur, and it was cheaper to do that. I guess the scrubbers take, the, in theory, at least take the sulfur out of the air um, and and um, you know reduce the pollution. Uh, but so, as I understand it, most of the shippers then are most of the shipping companies are opting to put the expensive scrubbers in, and because the cost of the fuel of this cleaner fuel was so much greater. Do I have that right? You have it perfect. It's great, great, great capturing of it. So what happens is that these ah. Uh, these knee-jerk policies for uh, global climate change, you know, from uh, and and so I, I'm of the opinion that um, a lot of the policies that have been implemented have been by uh, NGOs and, and and people very sensitive over the environment, um, mm-hmm. and it gets away from engineers implementing. And so what you've seen now out of this whole ESG strategy that companies had to have this ESG strong um, uh, footprint, uh, otherwise you shouldn't own them. Uh, And mining companies, by the way, as you know, have been doing this for a long time. They just never call it ESG. Um, But (laughs) what's happened in in Europe this year is is massive energy prices exploding on the upside because they shut down all the nuclear reactors in Germany. They made a bunch of emotional. They never planned out this idea of replacing carbon in a very thoughtful process because it was emotionally driven by a yes. bunch of political people. Mm-hmm. And and I think that some of the UN uh, strategy is the same thing, but this creates opportunity. Uh, and now uh, Europe is coming out, the EU wants to change the definition of ESG that natural gas is okay and so is nuclear. Because mm-hmm. if they don't have natural gas uh, from Russia, they've got a huge problem. And if they don't uh, start up their nuclear reactors again um, it's going to be a, a huge crisis going forward and and I think that um, uh, this all these these unexpected consequences mm-hmm. of, of bad decisions uh, it show up there are opportunities for investors mm-hmm. and and I think that C is one of those that we're seeing these supplies supply line disruptions around the world uh, they are even more exposed after COVID and the pent-up demand starts coming back. But wait till China finally stops all their in domestic lockdowns and they open up their economy. Um, uh, you're you're going to see a, a, another massive wave of trade and, and, and products going all over the world. Now, one of the things we do see is that China has spent much more money on robotics. And there's lots of great, outstanding YouTube uh, uh, videos uh, showing you uh, how they've done with the robotics versus uh, what's happened in uh, California, in in uh, Orange County, uh, in in that area of the country uh, is still much more manual labor than it is the use of robot robots mm-hmm. to quickly take these containers off these ships and putting them on trains and trucks. 
and mm-hmm. move him across America. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not going to happen overnight. And mm-hmm. so I think we're going to you know, have to live with part of this supply side inflation. Mm-hmm. All right. Which sure would seem so. So what I guess one question I'd have for you is how long do you think the, these uh, conditions will persist for the, for the, uh, uh, for the shipping industry, uh, three to five cars. years. I, I think they have the wind at their sail for big profits over the next three to five years, and then they're going to be trying to come up with new ships. They're going to have uh, less sulfur, so all those new ships are going to a cost a lot more. They're going to have to pass it on and pricing out what they're going to ship. Mm-hmm. They, they they can't do it at a loss, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so you're going to see. I believe the cost of cars go up. Like we've seen used cars go up 25%. Crazy. Yeah. Right. And and so that basically allows tremendous pricing power for new cars coming out and uh, and the higher metal prices. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what's so special about this this particular product is it's the only way to play. There's another ETF out there that lets you play the forward cargo cost, but it's a futures type of uh, product. It's a forward mm-hmm. product, but it's 160 basis points or sorry, 180 basis points. Um, it's much higher. And it's and here you're buying real companies, so you just it's very hard to go buy Zim Integrated Shipping Services, or if you want to go and buy um, which comes out of uh, Israel, mm-hmm. um, if you want to go uh, to buy Orient Overseas International, which is Chinese, uh, uh, Costco Shipping, which is also Chinese. These are big companies. Nippon is Japan. Uh, it's basically cost prohibitive for the for the uh, uh, retail investor or registered mm-hmm. investment advisor to be able to get exposure for such a low cost. And we're doing it just like we did Jets and GoAU. It's a quant mm-hmm. approach to picking these uh, particular uh, companies. Mm-hmm. And the biggest holding is going to be actually the Danish, the, the uh, Meserec is, is the biggest holding we have. Mm-hmm. So these are companies that you can't necessarily buy shares of on the on the public markets. Uh, some of these shipping companies, right? A lot of them, yes. You cannot yeah. buy. It's next to impossible mm-hmm. unless you want to stay up late at night and you have a special account and all this stuff mm-hmm. to buy in Taiwan, to buy yeah. in South Korea and yeah. China. But yeah. um, the U.S. company would be like um, uh, Matson uh, mm-hmm. is a U.S. company that uh, almost four percent of the fund is in the U.S. Uh, from that one particular holding, but a lot of them are are foreign. Uh, mm-hmm. Kuhn and Nagel um, is uh, Swiss, uh, but a, and a lot of names you've not heard. So I, I think it's a great way to play the demand for commodities. Mm-hmm. If you're bullish on copper, uh, you're bu- bullish on iron ore, mm-hmm. and you believe that the vaccine is is has basically protected a lot of people, the world is now uh, going to open up all of its borders. That means there's going to be great demand for jets and for cargo. Mm-hmm. Frank, I was just doing a little a little research in preparation for our discussion here, and if I have this right, uh, it seems as though that um, that C is selling below its uh, net asset value. Do I have that right? Uh, it all depends whether it's NAV is. Oh uh, yeah, I, I mean at, at the spread. Uh, T- uh, yeah, at TD, at TD, it suggested that uh, it might be quite a bargain if there, if I understand this right. So yeah. twenty two percent discount on net asset value, which means, you know, you if you buy if you buy C, your the intrinsic value or, or the value of the shares. The C, the uh, the assets that C owns is below, um, is much higher than what you're paying for it. I don't know if if that's 
if I have that right or not. I never really looked at it. You know, I, I think the ETF is much more efficient. The only thing would might you might get a discount because of spread between the bid and the ask. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had those volatile days in launching this. But um, I, I, I think that this is is another way what our research has shown is it highly correlated to PMI. It's 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 a six-month leading indicator. And uh, now the threat of rising interest rates here and slowing down the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Jay, I, I can't see the Federal Reserve raising interest rates to 8% to get to a positive rate of return. Oh, I, how could they? I mean, so, I can't, they're, they're having trouble at 2% on the tenure. So we're going to live with negative interest rates, and and if you can borrow for two percent to buy a car, do it because the metal prices are going to trade higher, uh, and so and we're in election year. So I'm not as bearish um, as uh, a lot of people are talking because I think this MMT is gone beyond that they have to maintain it, uh, otherwise they create such a liquidity crisis. So I and I think that once you see China turn turn the corner, that we're going to live in a new paradigm um, of what we're seeing today. That the market sells off in anticipation of rates rising, but the rates are never going to rise to the degree that they did in 1980 uh, when Paul Volcker came in and took them 600 basis points above the CPI number yeah. to stop inflation. Um, this would just be uh, a a huge, especially in a gubernatorial election year, uh, that would be a a major disaster. So I don't, I'm going to bet on, on the, be more optimistic about the capital markets. And I think that this particular product is when it turns, it's going to be ferocious because some of these uh, uh, cargo ships can double and triple. So we have to, uh, I guess you're betting on, a, on an inflationary world then, one in which you have to find ways to protect yourself. Ships would seem to be one, at least for the next three to five years, um, I guess, gold. And what, what about your Go AU? How is that performing? Your I love it. ETF. I'm biased. I'm biased. But Jay, <laughs> of course you are. But Jay, it's done what it was, it was going to do, Jay. It, it, it's it's outperformed the GDXJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it and it's done a, a great job on a risk analysis. Uh, it's less expensive, and it's just I'm really proud that it's it's executed the way it would. And here's the big amount of fud that's out there: is that gold was down last year. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, gold was not down. The average price that gold miners received was actually up fifty dollars from the previous year. Is that but right? From, uh-huh. But from the opening date of January. Uh, of 21 to the end of December 21, gold was down 5%. Oh, the world, the average price <laughs> was up $50. Interesting. So 60% yeah. of the companies are throwing off free cash flow. Mm-hmm. And, and the free cash flow yields are more attractive than the S&P 500. So gold is like back up the truck. Uh, it, it's just a beautiful asset class with high free cash flow. And um, and we've yet to start to really see you know the the big mergers that come in. But yeah. I think when when gold goes through 2200 sometime this year, I think it's going to happen. Uh, then I think then you could see gold the, the go AU put on a spectacular run. Do you think the major mining companies have done a better job this cycle than in the past? It seems like their balance sheets are cleaner. As you say, they're very, they're very profitable. Many of them. 
Uh, have they resisted going out and paying, overpaying for deposits? Or what, what do you, with about 30 seconds left, what are your comments? No, no, I, I think that the boards of directors are much more frugal and, dis- and disciplined. Discipline. Uh-huh. Uh, deals have been accretive. Um, so no, I, I think this the the gold sector is a beautiful industry uh, with much better leadership. The only thing I would recommend is that they hold their gold. If you have free uh, cash flow, you should t- bank ten percent of your gold uh, because it's too cheap to sell at these prices. Is my right. opinion. Right, right. Well, that would make sense. It would make sense to me as a gold bug. That's for sure. Frank, I want to thank you so much. Very interesting stuff you've got going there at U.S. Global. Thank you so much uh, for spending your time well, th- with us. Thank you, Jay. Take care. All right. You you be well. Bye. All right, folks. Well, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, I'm going to have a former Soviet Union economist who is now a free market Austrian school economics professor at Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. His name is Yuri Maltsev. Uh, he's going to be here to talk about uh, how he sees the U.S. economy right now from his perspective, and he's he's a bit disturbed about what he's finding, and a lot of signs that point back to the country that he fled from years ago. So it should be very interesting to hear from Yuri Malsef. Also next week, John Rubino joins me, as does Quentin Henning once again. Quentin will be talking about SK Mining next week. Uh, that's a, uh, a company's on to a massive VMS discovery in British Columbia. Very exciting story. So I hope you'll all be back to listen next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.